Day One FM. Welcome back. Today on the pod, we're joined by Emily Schild. She is the founder and CEO of Pop Up Grocer, a discovery destination for new, better for you products and girl dinners everywhere. It's what she calls a playground of possibilities. It is a very fun and wide ranging conversation that covers future, the future of grocery shopping, Cillian Murphy's one almond a day diet during the filming of Oppenheimer, and much, much more. I am, of course, joined today by my co-hosts, Clara and Trey, and they might want to dive in on uh, who else we might be joined by here on planet Earth because (laughs) there was some very interesting, thought-provoking, potentially conspiratorial news coming out of a uh, congressional hearing just this week. Right. The key takeaways, the U.S. government is sheltering alien spacecraft. We have non-humans. Non-humans. I love how that's the the term that they use. Non-human biological matter at that. So we don't even know what the non-human parts might be. But Were you guys believers? Are you... Did you think aliens were real? Now that it's confirmed, it's undeniable. But before, before yesterday, I've, I mean, I've been an alien. You know, I feel like people are either alien people or ghost people. Oftentimes Mm. I've been an alien person, I would say for a pretty long time. (laughs) I mean, there was some news like, and I, we were just talking about this before the pod. There was some news back in May from a scientist. I don't think he was like a government official, but basically talking about how he had been treating some pilots who had had UFO encounters and Mm. that the physical symptoms that they presented with were not consistent with anything else he had ever like witnessed before. He was a believer that they had had some sort of encounter of a third kind potentially. So I've been tracking the alien stuff. Mm. I'd say pretty closely. I was kind of shocked that the UFO business wasn't more of like a dominant story Yesterday, you know, like when all the girlies post their infographics to IG Grid, like four things you need to know about the UFOs, <laughs> like, you know, that type of How thing. How to interact with our new friends. There was like a surprising, like small amount of like, I guess, social chatter about it, at least that I saw. Maybe I'm more into it than those I follow, but mm-hmm. um, I was tracking it quite closely. Yeah, it didn't really uh, it didn't really pierce through consumer culture the way Barbie did, for example. I know. Oh my god, must we? <laughs> must we? <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's really interesting that th- it's taken this long, I guess, to I don't know, release the <laughs> release the bodies. Yeah. Well, were you always were you guys both alien people or no? Like are you still I, skeptical? Yeah, I'm about still not. This? I'm I th- it seems like a big distraction. I'm not sure what's really going on. That is my conspiracy. There's something mm. afoot. Bigger than aliens. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so Pentagon spokeswoman Susan, I don't know how to say her last name, said in a statement that the Defense Department Task Force does not have any quote verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currency. Whereas Mr. Burchett, who is... You mean exists currently? That's what this person said, Susan. But a Republican of Tennessee lamented a cover-up saying, the devil's been in our way. (laughs) So clearly, I think there's something afoot. Yeah, well, I think this conversation has always been going on you know the the area 51ers of the world um i think there's always been chatter about extraterrestrials it's not it doesn't exactly seem like the tinfoil hat conspiracy but i think what's happened now is that you do have like factions of the government who are 
a bit more like they spend a lot of time on the internet or are willing to entertain these, you know, what might seem to some to be conspiracy theories and very well maybe. But you know what I mean? You have the kind of like anti-government government that's like, I know we've been covering something up down there. <laughs> and um, then you have, you know, retired military personnel or Air Force pilots who may or may not have seen things. Um, well, what I find interesting, and we often talk about this on the pod, is like how the state of the world often, you know, requires us to create things like fake trends or girl dinner or whatever the case may be that we end up focusing a lot of our attention on um, that, you know, I hate to say it, aren't truly aren't truly important topics. But so that's why I'm confused, I suppose, to your point, Clara, about the UFO reveal have like holding less weight than I thought it might with Mm -hmm. all of the things going on in the world, excessive heat, you know, death and destruction that people aren't focused more on something maybe silly, maybe real, maybe just fun. Yeah. To distract ourselves. Well, I think it's been, and I I don't know, we can also always segue into Oppenheimer, which is, you know, <laughs> big deal of itself, I guess. But I think, I mean, I agree, Trey. I think it's been an interesting news summer to the extent that, like, there's been these massive things that have, like, overtaken the conversation. There's been Barbie. There's been, like, the Taylor Swift concert series, the Renaissance Store concert series, and all these things that are kind of, like, light and fun and then contrasted with I would say is like a pretty bizarre hard news landscape of like Mitch McConnell glitching out like terrible like outlook slash forecast for the next few years from like a global warming standpoint like massive disruptions happening from that already UFOs landing and that stuff at least I would say in terms of my social scroll people that I know and follow is just like not breaking through. And I wonder if that's also to the point that you're making like a self-distraction thing um, or whether it's, you know, just bizarre timing. Yeah, I mean, I was scrolling through uh, X, formerly, <laughs> formerly you know, Twitter, abide by these um, <laughs> and <laughs> I but I did I did see a tweet that I'll read out loud that I feel like kind of like encapsulated this like weird culture that we like this very bizarre culture that we are living through today uh it said kind of dope that this might be the most profound revelation in human history and i'm hearing hearing it on the toilet and immediately scrolling past to look at something funnier so it's like i just feel like we live in this landscape in which you have so much noise and you know atomic particles being (laughs) being blasted at you from different directions and those atomic particles could be Barbie, girl dinner, the NPC TikTok trend, the fact that the water in Florida was 101 degrees, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's like you almost don't even know where to direct your attention or what carries weight. Like the hierarchy of news is totally flattened, which is not necessarily like a hot take. I think we've discussed that for a while now, but it's like at what point does something truly become like, oh shit, this is like proper, properly news when everything kind of gets the same real estate on, you know, the virtual newspaper that is our feed. But apart, so yes, we've been talking about this, but I have a theory, which is not a huge mind-blowing thing, but I am seeing this flattening happening more and more where I am seeing these accounts on social specifically that are treating, you know, even silly subject matter like the Taylor Swift concerts and people not being able to get tickets to them as 
very weighty topics about like how people are finding jobs to work at venues so they can bypass, you know, paying for tickets that actually work there. They'll work the concert or, you know, people looking deeper into like these. I actually brought I saw this that. one. That was uh, so bleak. Can you, can you read the, <laughs> the header real quick for that? Because I feel like that got a lot of attention as like a very feel good, a very feel good story when I feel like if you scratch a little deeper, it's it's pretty bleak about right. like the state of employment and the cost of living and the the fact that it costs like whatever three months of rent, maybe one month, depending on where you live in the country to be able to afford stuff like this. Well, yeah, I think that it's been kind of reported throughout the summer that everywhere that Taylor Swift or Beyonce stops on tour, the hotel prices are kind of going through the roof. They actually called it tourflation, essentially, uh, basically meaning that like all of the spending around these concerts, you know, makes a dent in the economy, essentially. And people are scrambling to get tickets. It's like the biggest tour it seems like ever before than in history. I don't know if that's true. I'm making that up. Um, but, you know, the fans themselves are basically applying to work at these stadiums just so they can see the show for free since the difficulty of obtaining tickets has become kind of a running joke and huge frustration among the fan base. Um, so, yeah, I guess that, like, people are literally opting opting to work to see their <laughs> babes. But the point that I was trying to make earlier was, like, I just came across this example. I didn't look for it or scroll for it. It's, it's swipe to here, Nikita, Yassify Mortgages and the Reagan administration. <laughs> New York-based comedian Nikita Dump Truck is breaking down difficult political and economic topics for the girls. The self-proclaimed professor at Bimbo University covers everything from what legal terms mean to what's happening with Trump's indictment. So basically, the point being that, like, I think that we are seeing this really weird, like you said, flattening of, you know, silly topics turned into breaking news. Like, I found out about Mitch McConnell. Via having, pop crave. Yeah, via pop crave, which is, you know... Famously, a silly kind of aggregation account for the stands. Um, but yeah, so it, I think it is hard when a you know, UFO reveal comes along and it's supposed to be this like finally aha gotcha moment or something and people kind of just like chuckle and scroll by to find something funnier. All right. Well, stick around for part two of the pod. Emily's going to stop by. Great conversation on food, snack, status, grocery shopping, which personally gives me anxiety, but pop-up grocers here to uh, quell some of that. Uh, so be sure to tune in. Emily Shelb, welcome to the pod. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for stopping by. You are our first guest in our new podcast. Inaugural guest. I know. No pressure. I know. <laughs> I know. First impression so far, though? Not bad. Very, yeah, very sophisticated. Very this soundproof. Room, yeah, sounding lovely. You have snacks. So yeah. Those aren't necessarily snacks approved by me. I know. We thought <laughs> about we can that. Work, we, we can work on that. that. We thought about that. Yeah, we were yeah. a little bit briefly, like, insecure about our snack tray. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think you should be, honestly. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> well, perfect segue. I know it's a little padded walls in here too, but that's okay. It's for it's for soundproofing. So just to dive right into it. So you founded Pop Up Grocer. Yes. Talk us through a little bit what that is. You also just opened your first permanent retail location in Greenwich Village. Yes, it is the stuff that pops up now. The mm. stuff that <laughs> pops up. So 
Yeah, talk us through a little bit about the journey. What makes Pop-Up Grocer different from any other grocery store that you might walk into? Yeah. Yeah, I founded it very accidentally. Um, I was working as a marketing consultant with emerging brands, helping them mostly at the point of launch. So uh, on their brand ID, their digital presence, their social presence, their brand voice, kind of helping them become you know, ready for market, ready to introduce themselves. Um, And it was through that process that I got the idea for what is now Pop-Up Grocer because I learned for the first time how hard it is for them to very simply get on a shelf. Mm -hmm. And I guess more importantly, like get on a shelf uh, with impact and with reach. So I super naively was like, oh, it doesn't exist. I'll create it, right? (laughs) Um, Didn't have any money uh, or understanding of how to do that, nor like any commitment to this as a business. I just thought it was going to be a fun project, maybe a way to create a pipeline of clients for my consulting practice. So I thought, hey, I'll do a pop-up. It was 10 days long, and to fund it, I uh, more or less introduced what is still our business model today and our value proposition uh, which is an advertising first space. And so I went to the brands and said, hey, you know, we'll get you in front of your target consumers. We'll get you in front of media, buyers, investors, um, people of importance and value to you in, at this stage uh, for a flat fee. And that covered all of my overhead, made us profitable from day one. Um, and then to my great surprise, people actually showed up. People wrote about it. And here we are, nine pop-ups each 30 days long and now permanent space uh, four years later. That's, That's exciting. So yeah. So um, when was the first pop-up and like where was it? Uh, April of 2019, uh, your very gracious boss was there and bought a lot of <laughs> snacks. Um, and it was on Broom Street, so uh, like in the Lower East Side, Nolita, depending on where you divide the line, uh, <laughs> in Lower Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, cool. What neighborhood that you make up the name? For. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Lo- Lolita. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that might be a different one. <laughs> um, so you talked about your value proposition a little bit, and you know. Sc- snooping around your website, I noticed there's an application process. So you don't just, you know, um, platform any brand, right? So you and brands have to apply to be in the pop up grocer. So talk us a little bit through like what that application is like and why there is an application in the first place. Yeah, uh, I mean, we have a ethos and a set of criteria that I think is one of the reasons why people are interested in what we're doing and why they come to shop with us. And that, in summary, requires that a brand be new to market, um, be uh, responsibly sourced, responsibly made, and also be attracted, which the last part I understand is incredibly subjective, but we've been doing this for four years now, so it's much less of a guess what that is for our visitor um, than it was in the beginning, but essentially, you know, the packaging needs to be compelling, uh, needs to draw you in from the shelf. Uh, And so, yeah, we find that the brands that have the most success with us meet those criteria, and thus, in selecting them, you know, it's going to be the best experience for them in our space. Yeah. I'm curious, like, the kind of red tape of it all, because I imagine getting on a normal grocery shelf, you have to go through so many, like, checks and balances, FDA approval or some something like that, I imagine, before you even get to, like, the people in charge who are the decision makers. I'm curious, like, what was the problem that you first identified in that realm? 
And how do you kind of like get, is there a, like a get past it thing? Do they still have to have like, I don't know, FDA approval and all the stuff before you consider them? Or I guess like how did you relieve those pain points? Yeah, they're definitely at a sophistication level where they're proper business, they're FDA approved, they're meeting all of the regulations. They're not like at a farmer's market, you know, testing something for the very first time. Mm -hmm. They're seriously, and in order to like participate with us and have um, the objectives that our space would help them accomplish, they have to be pursuing this as like a real business. Um, so that being said, our space has like little to no red tape apart from our criteria. You know, they ship directly to us, so they don't have to be set up with a distributor. Um, they are fulfilling pretty low quantities, you know, in comparison to a major retailer. Uh, so they don't have to have a massive amount of product that would service 250 stores. Um, but unlike a boutique grocery store, you know, we do have a national platform uh, where buyers and retailers, investors are paying attention to what we're doing. So they're going to get more exposure than they would at another single independent uh, store. That's so cool. I, I'm curious then, like, what are the products that someone might find at Pop-Up Grocer? Just I know it's hard to, like, oh, pick through the shelves. But, you know, had I never been before, what can I expect upon walking through the, the door? Yeah. I mean, we're mostly vegan uh, and mostly gluten-free just by nature of our sourcing criteria. Uh, everything is better for you. And I say that um a little with a little caution because you know better for you healthy these things are all uh, very subjective to our, and personal according to how we like to eat and what feels right for our bodies um, but you know we are picking things that are innovative upon the original so um, you know it might be chips made from anything but potatoes <laughs> uh, basically um, we do feature everything from uh, you know chips and snacks to pantry staples though you know I think a lot of people think of us as just a snacks destination but increasingly we have a lot of sauces and spreads and um, spices uh, we have a freezer we have a refrigerator so really the only thing that we don't have available is produce oh cool though we have oishi strawberries right now uh, and th they are People are coming in droves for them. So. I always wanted it. to try those. <laughs> we make an exception if it's like hype produce. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hype produce, new category. I also saw Chamberlain coffees there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you guys are paying attention to the space, celebrity backed products is certainly a trend. So yeah. um, we have uh, Better For You Nutella from Noah Schnapps. We have, um, uh, what else? Um, no prime energy, blinking, though. But no no, no <laughs> yeah. prime. I think Logan's yeah. doing okay without us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is a good segue because, you know, a lot. some of our clients work in this space, CPG, QSR, et cetera. And one, one of the things we have been tracking is kind of like food and Bev becoming this type of external status signal. signal. So Chamberlain Coffee, I had the... Haley Bieber skin glow smoothie at Erewhon. You know, there was that piece that came out around like people working three jobs to get their smoothie, which I feel, you know, <laughs> is problematic. <laughs> and, well, the, yes, sure. Um, just one job for now. Mm -hmm. um, but is that something that you've been tracking as well? Is that, you know, do you find that people come in looking for a certain type of brand or like are buying things both because it is better for you, but also because it, kind of 
says something about them or they want to signal something or yeah for sure i mean i think that's something i've been tracking for the entirety of my career now which is you know over a decade long i won't be specific (laughs) (laughs) and i know you can't tell from looking at (laughs) um yeah i mean i think Food is a much more, both in CPG form and restaurant form, is a much more accessible um, statement of status. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that, like, I like this trend. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a $16 smoothie, even though that is kind of, or $20 probably, right? Yeah, um, it was $21.75 with tax. Okay, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, one time I went to get an Erewhon smoothie, I spilled it immediately. It was like, oh, so, no. Yeah, it was so crushing. Was and the line is and like, I, wait. I didn't even get my Insta. Yeah, I didn't get my Instagram, you know. So I wasn't, it wasn't like I cared that much about drinking it. Just, um, yeah, so I think, I think you know, 16 or $20 at the end of the day, if that says something that's, you know, just as important or just as significant, however you want to define it, as the handbag that you're carrying, which is significantly much more expensive to do so. Right. Um, I think, you know, that has something to do with what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, I was also curious kind of like to that, and you were starting to say just like, the consumer for Papa Grocer, like, and I'm sure it varies, but like, who is kind of like the average person um, that's like coming through the store? Like, is it someone who's like maybe looking for just like maybe like a statusy snack for IG stories, or is it also like you know people who are on like their health journey, a food influencer vibe, like more culturally, I guess, like comes yeah, through? I would say both, and I really would say genuinely. The latter, and I don't just say that because that's my hope. Uh, It's really like you know, most of the time I would say somewhere around ninety percent of the store again is vegan and gluten free. So we get a lot of people who, for the most part, are restricted. Most of the store, like ten percent, are things they can eat. You know, Mm -hmm. and now they come in and they're just like overjoyed to be in this wonderland. Um, That being said, you know it it is socially. not like I don't want to say viral, but you know it is very social in nature. People definitely come to record content um, to say that they were there to share the things that they're discovering because that's fun and exciting. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely people on their health journey. I think broadly, it's people who are curious and conscious about the things that they put in and on their bodies. Um, and I think they're people who consider themselves influencers, not like creators in the formal sense necessary, necessarily, but people who think that their opinion is appreciated within their circles, and they tend to be like the first to update them on trends and new products specifically. It's me, the early adopter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's me. It's me too, or it was, but now my job is like Excel spreadsheets yeah. and like oh, signing things. Contracts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I wonder what kind of feedback you've gotten from the brands that you've stocked? Has there been some kind of like success story or kickback that you can think of like an example of? Yeah, so many. Um, I struggle with like giving a case study because it's hard to draw a straight line. Yeah, we're not doing favorites here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I call Pop-Up Grocer a platform for possibility. You know, we do, uh, we create like the best space in which for you to be discovered. We have no bottom or top shelves, so everything's at eye level. Um, so very simply, and it's easy for you to be seen. Our curation is 
400 products versus 40,000. Um, mm. uh, it's 1,500 square feet instead of the size of a football field. So people are coming and they're really able to see you on shelf. They're also really invested in the experience. They're typically coming with intent. So they're flipping everything over. They're reading the copy that you've put on pack. They're reading the ingredients. Um, so, you know, the only thing we can promise is that level of engagement. But beyond that, a number of really exciting things have happened. Like, you know, for our longest running partners over the last four years, that's been like just exceptional, tremendous distribution and growth. Um, it, it's also immediately led to major retail partnerships um, uh, locally and nationally, uh, partnerships of all kinds, like with various sports organizations, content creators. Um, we also have a strong network of buyers at pretty much every major re grocery retailer in the country. And they're always coming to us, you know, asking uh, what's working and what they should put on their shelves. Um, so, yeah, we're having those conversations. And, um, yeah, a, a lot of really cool, uh, promising things happen at, after the the initial shelf experience with us yeah i'm also curious like and just like from my own personal knowledge slash ask gen z stuff like how much are you starting to see like gen z owned food brands like here we talk a lot about like pizzazz that does like those energy i don't know if there's someone that you know or carry but um just like the sort of difference in the branding and the messaging of those products versus you know products you think of as being like maybe more millennial like the recess of the world and i'm just curious like being close to it are you starting to see any sort of trends emerge in terms of like how gen z versus millennial brands are positioning the products from a packaging standpoint or just like messaging yeah i guess to step outside of like specifically products i do think one thing that's happening a lot with innovation with innovation in the space specifically like beverages but it's definitely translating to all categories is this like uh, optimization food you know everything has an added benefit in mm -hmm. addition to mm -hmm. it just being like foundationally healthy it's also like x for calm and x for energy and x for focus um i personally think that that's all like millennial driven because then if you watch what's happening on tiktok which is not to say that that's like all gen z but if I look specifically at where a younger demographic is talking, I think there's much more like balanced conversation around um, healthy foods and extremely unhealthy foods, like things that are just fun and playful and exciting. So I, again, I'm a little hesitant to like divide it up, um, those two things between two generations. But I do think that we're starting to see some of that playfulness and that fun um, taking over when it comes to packaging and products that are created by younger, younger people. Do you have a take on girl dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, yeah, I mean, Papa Grocer is against. <laughs> Papa Grocer is a great destination for for girl dinner. You heard it here, folks. Um, yeah, we just launched uh, tin fish and bread and butter and wine. Actually, oh, um, so literally. Uh, personally, I love girl dinner. I moved in with my boyfriend in March, so I haven't partaken in like my secret single behaviors in some it time, is, unfortunately. It's indulgent, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely like a meet and three at my house now. Yeah, Clara, <laughs> known girl dinner haver. Oh, yeah. yeah. Enjoyer. Yeah. Girl exactly. Dinner enjoyer. Yeah. I've yeah. been 
big in girl dinner land. So I assume at this point, now that you have a physical location and probably a lot more things in the works that you're maybe not ready to share, up to you. Um, I wonder if like brands, DTC brands are like banging down the doors now. Like there's only a finite amount of space and only a certain amount of turnover like brands. You can be like, hey, even though you were a flagship brand at our launch, we need, you know, new stuff or something. How do you kind of juggle that? And like, are there people banging down the door? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, de- yeah. <laughs> we definitely have a strong pipeline. We certainly have more demand than we're able to fill, which is the biggest reason why we opened the permanent store. Honestly, we're, we're figuring out right now how the permanent store works. I just opened it because I was like, we have, to, we have to put these people somewhere, you know? Yeah. So now we're sort of working out the mechanics of it in the long run. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there are just few retailers um, that you can go to uh, with, that are like pretty easy to get into and pretty fast. I think that's also one of the benefits. It's like a typical store, you know, plans um, their planogram like a year two years in advance, you know, it's a really long process. Um, so D to C or, or not, I mean, I don't think anyone is D to C strictly anymore. It might be uh, an initial launch prior to like a pop-up grocer shelf mm-hmm. uh, as a strategy, but D to C exclusive, especially for food and beverage is, um, yeah, not a, not a long-term thing. Mm. You... You mentioned that pop-up grocer, you call like a platform for possibility or platform for discovery. You survived a pandemic. You're still a brick and mortar retail space now. What was once many popping up around multiple different cities, now one in New York. Talk to me about what you've noticed from what people are looking for in like a retail space now or a grocery store. And like, how do you think that has changed since the pandemic? Yeah. I've always believed uh, that people will com- we can't compete with convenience uh, on- of online or yeah. or price with Amazon. So you can get the things that you know and love and buy routinely uh, through those places that are convenient and cost efficient for you. And what we can be is the complement to that shopping mm-hmm. behavior in that we are. Um, fun and experience driven and provide some education through our knowledgeable staff um, and those two those two things together uh, can account you know can satisfy all of your your shopping needs and so I mean I think you know in the pandemic obviously online shopping for groceries grew tremendously where it had been really slow to grow before mm-hmm. and it's kind of leveled out like it, yeah. it hasn't taken a nose dra- dive which i think is great but it also has not continued to grow and and definitely not at the rate that it was so i think that just proves that at the end of the day people really like going to the physical store for different reasons and they will continue to do that yeah totally yeah i mean i think gorillas and those companies were like some of the fastest growing unicorns ever and now I don't know. I don't see too many gorillas bags anymore. But yeah. I know Trey was a my, Trey was my an Instacart early adapter. membership just expired, which yeah. is devastating. <laughs> devastating. I am kind of in like a food desert though. I just moved to the Bronx and there's like one Western beef a couple blocks away that I will say nothing bad about Western beef, but there's not a lot in terms of options. But um 
Yeah, I, I'm curious too about like the different sort of, I know you just launched this brick and mortar, which is a whole endeavor to itself, but I'm curious if you're aware of like Flamingo Estate and how they have started doing these like boxes basically of fresh produce that they have a subscription service for, um, or else have you explored things like partnering with a DoorDash, Instacart, like delivery type service where people could order online if say they did live in the Bronx or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. And delivery is something that is coming for us for sure. Um, uh, you know, I just need someone to do our operations. So if there's anyone listening, yeah. <laughs> we're hiring. Um, so yeah, delivery, absolutely. We do have uh, an e-com business in the form of boxes where you can get around six to eight items uh, delivered nationally that are currently featured in our store. Um, we haven't put a lot of resources into that business and the cost of acquiring a customer, as we all know, is something that is continuing to grow at a rapid rate. Um, so, uh, Sorry, wait, what do you mean by that? What cost of acquiring a customer is? Online, yeah. Okay. Can you explain that? Oh, it's that? very Sorry. expensive to, okay. you know, through Facebook marketing or Instagram marketing or... To just have, like, the awareness. Yeah, just to, to find and... and um, uh, convert people to buy oh, okay. things. I didn't know Very that. expensive. Oh, yeah. We do work in marketing. You, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, I market, but you I didn't market. know there was a conversion issue. <laughs> Not looking at the budgets. Yeah. 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 I mean, this. that's like investors will ask me, you know, about uh, our econ business and what's our CAC and that it's in that exact moment where I freeze and I'm like oh this is not the business mm. that I want to <laughs> that once, I want to focus once on once I start growing. doing acronyms I'm like oh yeah, right I, yeah I no I'm like mm, no like, come again yeah brick yeah. and mortar for yeah me. because yeah. I we have seen a lot of conversion from TikTok specifically especially around these stories of like tinned fish selling out because of some viral TikTok recipe or some like feta cheese and tomatoes like you can't find them anywhere suddenly because of some TikTok and um, is that at all part of like your strategy or is it something you're just like, that's for the brands to figure out and I'm just providing a space? Yeah, um, for a while I did think that maybe we would go more in the direction of like an agency. So we would have this physical space, but we would also provide content and marketing support and just activate for these brands in a variety of ways beyond just being a place where they can sell their, their products. Um, I think at the end of the day, I've decided to go in a, in a different direction and be much more of a grocery store across the country, like a discovery-centric grocery store. Um, but so, so yeah, so in short, that is for them to figure out. But I also think that those scenarios, while um, exciting and fruitful for those brands, are more of the exception than the rule. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I'm yeah. also curious, and I don't know if this question is going to make sense, so let me know, but... Um, <laughs> Just like you were talking about sort of being like a testing ground and like an incubator for these brands that are just kind of starting to start out. And I wonder I wonder if you've noticed like differences in kind of like the dream sort of end point or like arrival for where these brands want to be in like five years or 10 years. Like just because like like we were talking about, for instance, like you have celebrity brands like that are, you know, like Chamberlain Coffee that are sort of very much like speaking to both her current audience, but also have like the potential to expand to something like a Whole Foods. But are you also seeing folks who like say want to keep things small or like break out their own retail store, or, like kind of shift away from like trying to get into like say a Whole Foods or a Walmart or something like that immediately and like instead maybe stay either slightly smaller, like stay slightly closer to 
you know, the community of like niche folks that they want to speak to, if that makes sense. I'm sure it varies a lot, but just curious. It does. I think the state of CPG, of consumer packaged goods right now, is just too capital intensive to allow for what I think you're describing, which is just to say small. Like no one can really, (laughs) (laughs) no one can have those ambitions and like also compete at retail or online, um, in my opinion. Like I think you could have a lifestyle business or like a really successful side hustle. um, But if you, everybody wants to be in Walmart and Whole Foods because that's how you make money. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, or that's how you make, that's how you have a compelling story to uh, move toward an acquisition. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I hope that answers your question. But yeah, well, it was maybe quite sadly. I guess. <laughs> 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 well, it was more like, because I guess I'm curious, like, I don't know, I'm just like at the angle where I'm staring down our snack tray. And I guess, you know, like, <laughs> don't we, come with a snack tray. <laughs> we haven't like totally gotten into sort of like the sort of health side of things too much. But just like knowing that like today, a lot of like the really big snack brands are like also the brands that are like super heavily processed, super, maybe not the best for you. And like, is there a lane that you see for maybe some of these like smaller batch, like better for you brands to like break through and like compete ever at scale with like a I mean maybe not like (laughs) I'm staring at them right now as I speak but like (laughs) like sort of how is it to you know maybe speak right now to a group of consumers that is very conscious about that but like is there an ambition to like break outside and like convince someone who's you know eating like maybe a big batch potato chip brand that like no this is more fit to you or whatever it is yeah I think this is a very complicated um question really because there are so many things that need to be need to be achieved um, within the industry and how things work in order to make it really truly possible for like a chickpea puff to surpass um, (laughs) Doritos but I guess the the number one thing that I will say is it really just comes down to price what you're talking about and the price is impacted by a number of different things which is why I'm saying it's really complicated we're going to hell at the end of the day like Dorito (laughs) that pag of Doritos is what like 99 cents, or I'm le- sure. Or less? <laughs> yeah, it costs less, yeah. probably I mean, 37 sh- cents. Shitty, shitty ingredients uh, cost less money. You know, if you're making a product with integrity and thus it's better for you, it's going to cost more money. Now, we could get the cost of those ingredients down if we could generate enough demand for those ingredients, but that requires that enough of these emerging brands, uh, you know, are um, seeing a level of success that would actually do that. And again, that's why I say it's complicated because then that level of success is impacted about or uh, impacted by where the funding is, where um, the uh, support is from a distribution standpoint, where the support is from a retailer standpoint. And retailers are motivated by dollars because you don't make money selling products at you know a razor thin one or three percent margin you make money from slotting fees and guess who has the money for slotting fees doritos and you know so like it just um it's it's a really tough game Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day if if you know and i really have a lot of hope for this next generation because if they're just flat out like I'm not eating Doritos and I will only eat chickpea puffs. Well, then chickpea puffs will get acquired. And before we know it, like, you know, and this will happen in every category. And before we know it, um, better for you will be 
dominant. Um, but also Gen Z doesn't have the buying power, so they continue. Like, I look at the top brands among them often, and I'm always so surprised. But, like, dude, I get it. You might want to buy sustainable clothing, but at the end of the day, you have a Shein budget, you know? Yeah. Um, Damn, Claire, you got Shein budget? You <laughs> well, got Shein money? Well, yeah. no, but that, I mean, I was literally, like, when you were talking, I was, like, thinking exactly about Shein just because, like, I think for a younger consumer especially, it is interesting, and we talk about this all the time, just sort of, like, the competing um desires that they have to either like have the thing that's trending on one end or like have get the look but like also get the look for less like um you know either around like whether it's a food trend like girl dinner or <laughs> whether it's like you know whatever coconut girl type of thing is like going around on tiktok but i agree i mean i hope that you know chickpea puffs rule the world one day <laughs> somehow one day i also want to ask about the aesthetic because I know you mentioned there was like some kind of criteria, although it's subjective and possibly mysterious, of how, you know, you curate your products. Um, I'm curious if you can pull back the curtain a little bit about like what does in your mind make an alluring brand? Um, because I do see a lot, at least like in the, you know, what's trending sphere of, you know, CPG, um, there's a lot of pretty branding with like kind of past Gen Z millennial pastel hues and like wavy fonts. And, you know, at what point is it like, oh, this is intriguing and visually alluring and sets it apart from the other brands in that space versus being like almost a parody of this trend, I guess. How do you like differentiate and what is like the, how do you def like define the taste level, I guess? Yeah. Um, I mean, the pendulum swings, so I think what was happening a few years ago was that brands were sort of moving in the more minimal direction because that was starkly different from everything else that was on shelf. Then that became the norm, so now brands are being quite vibrant and loud because that helps them stand out. So I think we'll continue to see this happen over time, uh, but certainly what runs through the brands that we see people come in for specifically um, those that are getting a lot of social media attention and also the ones that are compelling to them once they're in our store um, are those that have a really strong sense of identity and sense of self. They're not ones that are quiet. Um, and then just more specifically uh, on a packaging front, uh, also do a good job of explaining what the product is in a very direct and simple way because a lot of our products do have some new component that requires a level of education that you know you you might be able to sell quite easily in the context of a website but when you rely on your packaging alone you know it has to do a lot more work for you mm -hmm. i want to shift gears and uh, bring it back to our present day, talk about what's in our feed, what's in our scroll. So in front of you, you have a couple <laughs> options for what to respond to and more, uh, which we encourage um, when we read out some headlines. So uh, I will read out the options just for our listeners. They are, is this news? Still processing, sent to group chat. Who did this? Stop scrolling and open your wallet. And I will kick things off with a very timely New York Post headline. <laughs> Emily Blunt, quote, emaciated Cillian Murphy ate just an almond every day for Oppenheimer. 
Who did this? <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Nolan, actually. Wow. Yeah, I know. Are you, do you have like a, a preference? Are you going to see either Barbie or Oppenheimer? I'm going to see Barbie tonight. Really? Oh. Yes, with like a group of like 30 people. I was going to say 30 friends. I don't have that many friends, but there are like <laughs> five of my friends who have invited friends. Who wow. Have, yeah. Um, and of course, we're dressing up. So. Oh, strong oh. showing. What Barbie are you? <laughs> <laughs> this Barbie. I only have. I realized this morning I only have one pink top in my uh, closet. So. Oh wow, that's the one. What, uh, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'll go next with mine. Um, Taylor Swift will be proclaimed honorary member, honorary mayor of Santa Clara, California, and the city will be renamed Swifty Clara during her stop there on the Eras tour. Still processing. <laughs> Unfortunately. That's one. a lot. Yeah. 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 Clara, that that hits home too, for better or for worse. Oh, I mean, yeah. I know. Is the name association like tough for you or no? For Swifty Santa Clara, Clara California. No, Clara. <laughs> we'll call you Swifty I mean, Clara. Swifty yeah. Clara is like a fun name for like if I had like a, a doppelganger. You know what I mean? Or like yeah. the sort of Which Clara? anti oh, version Swifty. of me. Oh, it's Swifty Clara. It's like my Wario. Yeah. You know and what she I mean? hates junk fees. And she hates yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, the Swifty um, thing is something that's definitely over my over my head for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It yeah. is a lot. The like stories of people who like wear diapers to go because the, they don't want to like right. miss anything. Right. There was like an Leak. op-ed from a therapist. <laughs> Did you guys read this in like no. New York Times or something? And she was talking about how Taylor Swift has started to come up in more and more of her sessions with <laughs> clients that like Taylor Swift, it's like, oh, like, you know, like I was listening to this Taylor Swift song and it's right. just like when like, Eric broke up with me and like all like like Taylor Swift is like the language through which they're like she's, whatever. She's the voice of a generation. Yeah. Slow it's insane. Um so, yeah, slow news month. Um mine is a little bit boring, but I'm curious to get your take. Is aspartame bad for your health? What's to know about Diet Coke's key ingredient? Oh, sent to group chat. Yeah. Are you a Diet Coke drinker? Like once a year. Yeah. Can oh. you not say on the pod? Is that? No. <laughs> I know. I do. I will say I hesitate. Like yeah. before posting to social or something, uh, if I'm having a beverage or a food that is very off-brand, I do feel like I'm not allowed to Indulge. be bad. You know. But yeah. like, I yeah, I I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're allowed to have a diet coke with your girl dinner. Yeah. You know? It's like it's context specific. You know. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like, I get McDonald's uh, whenever I'm on a long road trip. Yeah. Did you get the Grimace shake? I, I didn't. That is something I sent to group chat, and yeah. I probably shouldn't admit, but I had to ask who Grimace was. Oh, yeah. interesting. That's very how, that's how much offline I am. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know who Grimace was, and too. And he's, he's my generation, right. too. Like, yeah. that's I was not... like, he was in my McDonald's. Right. When yeah. I, when yeah. I lived. I'm embarrassed. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. It wasn't that good. Okay. But I lived to tell the tale. So, yeah. 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 I, I do appreciate a Diet Coke, though. I'm now a daily Diet Coke drinker. Recently, you know. Wow. In, did, you, did you see the thing, though, about, like, Coke Zero being created to market to men basically Diet Coke because men were not drinking Diet Coke with the word mm. diet in it, so they called it Coke Zero. And it's like, again, a slight change in ingredients or whatever, but tastes yeah. more or less the same. I mean, people have their thoughts there, but... Yeah. Um, and then you suddenly... You shut up about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> suddenly, like, the, you know, the sales of Coke Zero went through the roof with men, and now we have gender drinks. <laughs> I mean, 
I, yeah, you know, here's my pop-up grocer plug. Like, I will have a Diet Coke because it's nostalgic mm-hmm. for me. But there are truly so many better for you soda options. Mm-hmm. Taste better, have more interesting flavors. I'm an Olipop fan. Yeah, Olipop, pop. Digestive. I don't know if that's completely true. Maybe you know more than I do. But, like, I'm like, oh, it helps my, digest- my, digest- my digestion. <laughs> Absolutely going to drink this. I mean, um, scientifically developed. It's, right. The I science mean, is there. It, yeah. So to close us out. Things you can find at Pop Up Grocer. Where can you find Pop Up Grocer? Give a quick plug. This is your <laughs> chance. You know, uh, if you, if you're in New York, we are located at 205 Bleecker Street in Greenwich Village, and we're open every day from eight to eight. So Perfect. Come on by, have a cafe, grab coffee, um, and pop ups throughout the country. But also popupgrocer.com. We'll mail you a box if you can't visit us in person, <laughs> and you can scroll through our directory, so you can just. Look at the cool brands. You don't even have to buy them. Just discover some fabulous new brands. Yeah, we love that. Cool, Emily Shell. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you guys so much. Thank this was you. Fun. Yo, thanks for tuning in. Stay up to date with all things Day One FM by subscribing to our page on Spotify, following us on Instagram at D1A and staying up to date with the latest trends and insights on d1a.com forward slash perspective.